Hello again, fight fans, and welcome to episode 319 of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. I am your host for The Ring Magazine, and as you can see, the new issue is out in stores now. And on the cover, the undisputed women's lightweight champion of the world, Katie Taylor, game changer. So make sure you check out this issue. Uh, A lot of great stuff in there. And of course, uh, a breakdown of the great, great fight between Katie Taylor and Amanda Serrano. Once again, this is TNC319. I am your host, Michael Montero, for Ring Magazine, ringtv.com, and the Ring Digital YouTube channel, where you're checking me out live right now. And as always, I remind you, make sure that you are subscribed, you click that notification bell, and you uh, share the show, man. That's the fee. We have no uh, no monetary fee here. All we ask is that you share the show if you get something out of it. Every week, not just once. Every week, every episode, share the show, get it out there. This show continues to grow because of word of mouth from you guys. So uh, if you can't catch the live video on Monday, it's all good. The audio pod comes out Tuesday. Just look for uh, me on any podcast platform, whichever one that you prefer. Look up Montero Unboxing, The Neutral Corner. Boom, you'll find me. We need follows. We need likes. We need shares. We need ratings. We need reviews. Thumbs ups. All that stuff, thumbs ups. Is that a word? Thumbs up. How about that, Mike? Uh, as you can tell, I'm pretty tired. Uh, my first day back in training after a few weeks of uh, hanging out, chilling a little bit, and uh, running outside in that summer heat. Whew. Man, it's, it's hot right now in Atlanta. And I was supposed to be in New York last weekend for the big fight, but I'm not going to get into a rant about the airline, Southwest Airlines. I'm not going to get into a rant about the Atlanta airport. I would just say there were very incompetent people working this particular weekend with those two uh, platforms, those two entities, and I would just leave it at that. I called and complained, and we've got vouchers. We've been refunded. We've got – we're taken care of. So all is well. Um, But I was really looking forward to get up in New York last week. And it's crazy that it didn't happen. It's crazy that I want to say there were thousands, at least hundreds of flights all around the country, uh, both coming into America, out of America, all around America that were canceled or delayed last Thursday, last Friday. The airlines have been an absolute mess recently. And um, yeah, so we did not get to New York. Um, We woke up at four in the morning to get to the airport for a 610 flight. And, uh, you know, it takes us 30 minutes to get to the airport. Um, and it, 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 it was a bad day. <laughs> but it ended up being okay. Some friends came over Saturday. We watched the fight. And uh, we had a good time. So, anyway, let's get right into this, man. We got much to discuss, as usual. Let's jump into some news and notes. Um, and let's start with uh, Edgar Berlanga. So uh, he got suspended six months, and apparently he'll be fined ten thousand dollars. I think I can't remember for sure, but I think this is from the New York uh, State Athletic Commission. That's where he fought last. He tried to bite his opponent. He wasn't successful. He fainted the bite, <laughs> if you will. Uh, but just going through the motions of it and attempting to bite—that's going to cost him six months and ten thousand uh, dollars. Look, some people on Twitter are like, "Well." This doesn't really, this isn't a big deal because he's only going to fight twice this year. And, you know, being suspended six months is like losing out on one fight. Guys, look, Edgar Berlanga is a prospect. 
So six months in $10,000, it's not like this guy is a superstar or is making millions, million dollar paydays. This is a pretty, pretty hefty fine and a pretty hefty suspension. So I'm good with it. I, I think this was appropriate. It's not like he bit and drew blood. He did try to bite. He did try to draw blood. And he overall acted like a douche for most of that fight and afterwards. So he deserved a little slap on the wrist. But I'm good with the six months and the 10 grand. How much you want him to take from the guy? Again, he's not making seven-figure paydays over here. And um, he probably would have fought three times this year, honestly. He, he, he may have because he's on that level. He's a prospect-level fighter. So I, I'm good with this. Um, the other big news item, Alexander Usyk, Anthony Joshua 2. Apparently, it's a done deal for August 20th in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. So both of these guys are going to get paid a truckload of money. and. I'm happy for Usyk because he's a guy coming from the part of the world he comes from, coming from the third world. Uh, he doesn't bring a whole lot of economic muscle to the table. The Eastern European fighters, generally speaking, don't bring a lot of money because that's a very, very, very poor part of the world in the way the network deals and everything. I mean, it's a, you know, some of those countries over there, borderline dictatorships. The money goes to politicians. I'm not going to get into a whole political thing, but it doesn't break down the way other countries do, right? So um, Usyk, has, Usyk has been paid well, okay? He's been paid seven figures before, but for a fighter of his level, and we might be talking about an all-time great level fighter, definitely a first, if he retired tomorrow, he's the first Battle Hall of Famer. He's the greatest cruiserweight of all time already, right? Um, but this guy hasn't made the amount of money that fighters way, way, way below him have made. So in this rematch, he's going to make a substantial amount of money. He's going to make a uh, career-high payday several times over, and he deserves it. So I'm, I'm happy for him. And, um, of course, for AJ, this is another boatload of money. He's had several truckloads of money dumped in his driveway before. The guy's he's, – he's never going to be hurting for money ever. But um, Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, of course, everybody remembers AJ fought there once before in a rematch with Andy Ruiz, which went his way. He, he dominated that fight. Some of that was because he fought a much, much better game plan and he boxed well against Ruiz in that rematch. But some of it's also because Ruiz showed up, you know, fatter, you know, I was going to say fat, but he's always kind of fat. He showed up uh, fatter than the first fight. Wasn't nearly as motivated. Maybe he took AJ lightly, thought all he needed to do was connect with a big shot again. Maybe he had fear of success. That's something Andy Ruiz, I've always been told by people that have been around him and his trainers that he kind of almost has that fear of success, kind of uh, almost a mental illness about him in that regard. He's also just not a guy that takes this whole thing very seriously and just shows up um, and kind of half-asses it. Usyk's not going to do that. We know Usyk's going to come in and give 100%. The question is, listen, the first fight was in September last year. So by the time this fight happens, it'll be almost one year. And Usyk has had injuries before that have caused layoffs and stuff, particularly once he moved up to heavyweight, right? There's been a couple injuries and stuff like that. Uh, then we had the whole COVID thing, the lockdowns and all that. Um, Joshua hasn't fought either. But if either of these two fighters needed more time, I thought it was AJ. He's needed more time to work on some things because he's the one who's got to improve in the second fight, not Usyk. Um, so I think this extra time has helped Joshua. And when you factor in that Usyk has been at war, 
And I know some of you guys would be like, well, it's not like he was on the front lines, you know, stabbing a Russian with a bayonet. I, I get it. Okay. He was involved heavily in the war effort over there. Okay. He did see hundreds of dead people, including children. The guy has been through a lot. So uh, for some people to criticize these fighters going over there and helping out, it's so odd to me. Anyway, Usyk's been through a, a hell of a lot, and he has friends and associates uh, through boxing, but also family and friends and everything through other endeavors on both sides of the war, the Russian side and the Ukrainian side. So he's been through a hell of a lot since that first fight. Um, that combined with the fact that Anthony Joshua just signed um, – a huge deal with the zone that in certain ways, in terms of the partnership side of it is bigger than the deal Canelo signed bigger than the deal Golovkin signed. It's the biggest deal anyone has signed with the zone. So you have that. And then you're going back to Saudi Arabia where money talks, right? This is an authoritarian dictatorship country with, you know, that abuses minorities and women. Um, so there's a lot of factors going on here that are going to add plenty of spice and conspiracy for fans and for media alike. Um, it's going to get interesting. And, it, you know, hey, when the scorecards get read, it could get real interesting. OK, so so we'll talk more about that as we get closer. But obviously, that is a massive fight. It's the biggest matchup of the entire year, in my opinion, at least through August. Now, we might end up getting Terrence Crawford and Errol Spence, and, and, and that may supersede this fight. But in terms of the money involved, the legacy involved, I, I'm probably going to shade Usyk Joshua, depending on how some things play out as it re relates to Tyson Fury and the, the future potential of you know a fight with him uh, with the, between the winner of this fight and Fury. Uh, there's a lot on the line here, guys. And heavyweight, you know, it, it's the biggest the baddest and the most money, the most on the line. So I'm really, really looking forward to this fight. We'll talk a lot about it in the coming weeks and months. Okay. Uh, that's it for the news and notes. And uh, we'll get into the fight review in just a minute, but let me make sure I hit this super chat from my man, Aaron in Aussie land. Thank you so much, Aaron. He says, love you, Mike. I know you hate the fight, but if you were the trainer, what does George Cambosos need to do to beat Devin Haney in the rematch? I think trying to get his belts back is the smartest decision. Um, wow, you know, that's a really hard uh, question to answer, Aaron. I don't know if Cambosos can do anything different. I, I just don't know. Um, I saw him trying to make adjustments in that first fight. You know, I, I covered it for ringtv.com. I watched it intently. I did a you know post-fight recap and posted it to the site. So I was watching very, very closely. And I saw in his body language that George did try to do a few things. And he did win a couple rounds. And he had some moments here and there. Um, I, I really don't know. I, this is going to sound very elementary and very um, vague. But I would say up his punch output. Start with that. Punch twice as much as he did in that first fight. Now, obviously, that's going to create some uh, counter opportunities for Devin Haney. But I felt in that first fight, uh, Cambosos let Haney get off first and he let Haney get off last. I felt like every exchange between the two of them, just about every exchange, it was Haney throwing first and throwing last. 
And how do you solve that? How do you change it? I don't know, but that's the first thing he's got to do. Up the punch output, because the more he punches, Cambosos, the less Haney punches. And Haney doesn't punch that much anyway. We all know Haney can't punch through a wet paper bag, right? So if you're Cambosos and you don't fear the power coming back at you, get an angle, get your head off the line as best you can. That's another thing. Cambosos could move his uh, his head more. His footwork's actually pretty good. It's his head movement that's really poor. Uh, move that head a little bit and uh, come in on, on an angle, come out on a different angle, try to be first, try to be last, and hope that one of those punches in one of these exchanges, you know, you catch Devin Haney backing up, you catch him, uh, he's looking for a right, and you hit him with a left or something like that, and, um, you know, you hurt him. I, I think that's, again, the strategy of how you get there, that, you know, is up to him and his trainer, but that's obviously what he needs to do. <clears throat> All right, guys, let's uh, let's move into this fight review. And of course, we only got one big one to talk about. But before I get to the main event that took place in Madison Square Garden last Saturday, June 18th, and of course, this was a top-ranked card on ESPN, let's talk about this co-main because I think it's worth discussing. Um, the undercard for this show from Top Rank was pretty crappy, but the co-main was pretty solid. And what I liked that they did, and there's a lot of times where Top Rank and ESPN, we've all talked about this, right? The cards start way too late. There's too much Mark Kriegel. And I got nothing against Mark Kriegel. He's very, very good at what he does. I think he could be a great talk show host. I actually think he'd be a wonderful talk show host. He could be like the new Maury Povich or something. He'd be, he honestly, he'd be maybe more of a Montel Williams, you know, uh, you know, not quite as crazy as Maury, like you are the father. He'd be a little more serious, like a Montel or something, but I really think he could do well in that genre. Anyway, um, <laughs> top rank got it right this weekend in a couple ways. First of all, they started the, the card at 10, which is late, right? People are like, oh man, this should be started at eight, nine o'clock. But here's the thing. They only had two fights. They got right to it, man. So so right at the top of the broadcast, 10 o'clock, boom, we get this great featherweight matchup. Not great, but very solid featherweight matchup with Robisi Ramirez. And, of course, he's the Cuban, you know, a great amateur career, lost his pro debut, but has won every fight since. And then you had Abraham Nova, who's a Puerto Rican fighter. So you had Cuba versus Puerto Rico. You had featherweights. In terms of styles, it was a good style matchup. So I like this. And we got right into it, man. And so that was very, very good. I'd rather have a card start late, have the whole card start at 10, 11, as long as we get one or two fights. Just get right to it. I don't need to see eight fights. I really don't. Put that on the plus. So the diehards, that's where we could go to watch that. But for the ESPN broadcast, get right to it like they did this time. I loved it. Anyway, uh, Ramirez uh, did, you know – he didn't do great in the first four rounds. He scores a five fifth round knockout, highlight reel knockout that he set up beautifully with um, he's a southpaw. So he had been coming in with a jab and then fainting sometimes with a jab and then throwing some, some looping left hands and sometimes some straight lefts. But he scored the knockout beautifully. And what I, what, it, what I saw was over the first four rounds, because Nova had some moments. And by the way, Nova was undefeated coming into this fight. This was his first loss. But uh, Nova had some moments. He did land a couple shots and everything, but I could tell Ramirez was trying to set up power. That's what you saw with the way he was fighting. So maybe he wasn't 
dominating the rounds with his boxing craft. And that's what we're used to seeing from Ramirez. In fact, when this fight started, my original gut feel was this is going the distance because that's Rubisi Ramirez. It's how he fights. It's going to be a distance fight. These two guys are going to, you know, kind of be technical. But you saw Ramirez doing little things. Uh, I watched it again, and I didn't necessarily see it that night. But watching it again, you can see where he was trying to fight as a quote-unquote pro boxer and set up power. And in the fifth, he had uh, Nova backing up kind of toward his the, the corner, right? He was close to the ropes to the corner. And um, instead of fainting with a jab, and again, remember that Ramirez is a southpaw, he kind of looped his right hand around almost like a really, really wide hook jab. It wasn't a tight little hook. His arm was extended, but he looped it around in this big, big circle. And he was doing that against an orthodox fighter, Nova. So Nova's lead hand was out. And so when Ramirez looped his right hand around like that, it went over Nova's lead hand and uh, impaired his vision. And then since Nova backed straight up into the ropes, that's how he was trying to get away from that shot. He backed straight up. All Ramirez did was step in with a straight left hand. And in fact, um, Nova's lead left hand kind of caught, and he was just holding it out there, but he kind of caught Ramirez on the chin just a little bit. But it wasn't really a punch. He was just kind of feeling out with it. And, and Ramirez walked right into that. He, did, he didn't care because there was nothing on it and Nova was moving backwards. So Ramirez loops that right hand, steps in, boom, with a nice straight left hand, landed flush. Nova was done. It was a really, really pretty knockout. And it showed that Ramirez really has, he's won nine in a row since losing that pro debut. Now I'm not saying he's on the elite level yet at featherweight, but I do feel with this win, he's a top 10. And I said that to the ring ratings committee panel uh, this weekend that I feel he's earned that status because he really, really looked like a professional featherweight prize fighter in this fight. So good, solid performance, I felt, from Amiris. Not perfect. Plenty he could work on. But that was a nice step up for, for him. All right, let's talk about this main event. Artur Baturbiev improves to 18-0, 18 knockouts. TKO2 win over Joe Smith Jr. Unifies three of the four light heavyweight world titles and will likely face mandatory challenger Anthony Yard next. So we'll talk about that in a second. Let's talk about this fight. Now, last week during the preview, several of you called in. I know several of you were taking Smith for the upset. And um, I, I could I could see looking back, you know, why a lot of people maybe were thinking upset here. But of course, now 2020 hindsight, we look back at this and it's like, how the hell did anyone think Smith was going to win this fight? just a, a giant gap in talent and craft between these two fighters. And that's no disrespect to Joe Smith. I'm a fan of his. Uh, he might be the best overachiever of this generation. He's got a little bit of Timothy Bradley in him in the sense that Timothy Bradley was limited with some of his athleticism and all that, but he got a hundred percent out of his ability, right? He was fighting a much, you know, a very talented division and he fought some tough guys. Uh, but for, uh, Smith is the same thing. Like you feel like he's gotten a hundred percent out of his talent, out of his, not that I'd say Bradley and Smith are on the same level. Bradley, probably a better fighter or definitely a better fighter pound for pound. I'm just saying that overachiever type of personality, right? Uh, that's what I see from Joe Smith. So I'm a fan in that regard. However, the level between these two, 
they're not even on the same stratosphere. And if we're really, really being honest, there is a few parallels, obviously some huge differences, but a few parallels between this fight and the Devin Haiti-George Cambosos fight a few weeks back. Obviously, Baturbiev hits much, much, much harder than Devin Haney, okay? I'm not trying to suggest otherwise. I'm just talking in overall levels. Uh, and of course, Baturbiev has accomplished more than Haney and all that kind of stuff. Okay, I get it, guys, okay? Don't have to go there. Uh, I could hear some of you pounding you know, your, your fist right now. It's not an apples to apples, but I'm saying in terms of just levels, coming in, it looked like an upset could be possible. Coming in, it looked like a very competitive, uh, a lot of you saw it as almost a 50-50 fight. Remember, some of you said that last week, and I said, eh, I'm seeing this more 60-40, right? So I was almost there with you, but there's no way I was going to say this was 50-50, but I saw it way too close. This was a 95-5 fight, if we're being honest. This was a 90-10, and there's no disrespect to Joe Smith. Just like Devin Haney and George Cambosos, that was 90-10. No disrespect to George Cambosos, but there are levels to this game. And so here's what I saw. Right in the opening 30 seconds or so of the first round, and again, I watched this one a second time. Um, both orthodox fighters, okay? Joe Smith trying to be aggressive, trying to work behind the jab, but he was coming in with his head right on the line, and he wasn't uh, getting his hand back quick enough off the, uh, off the jab. And he had some success, but coming straight in with his head right on the line. And a couple of times what he would do is he'd sit his head over a little bit to his right, which gave this, the left side of his head to Baturbiev in the mid-range. And what Joe didn't do well is he didn't stay all the way on the outside or all the way on the inside. He kind of hung out in the mid-range, and that's Artur Baturbiev's playground. That is where he does his best work. And it didn't really matter if Baturbiev was backing up or coming forward. He was able to match Joe Smith's footwork. Smith is probably, it might be a better athlete than Artur Baturbiev. His feet and hands may move faster. It's negligible, but they actually may move faster. Smith may actually be a stronger guy in terms of like doing a weightlifting competition. I'm being serious about this. But Baturbiev, his craft is just light years ahead. And what he was able to do, what I saw Baturbiev doing, particularly when he backed up, is he'd make very subtle foot movements, a little half step backward, a little half step to his right. Whatever he had to do to keep Joe right in front of him in range. And when I say in front, I'm talking in boxing terms. I don't mean right here. I mean, for a right-hander, the front is right here, right? For those of you uh, listening on the audio, um, it, I'm a right-hander. So you being right in front of me is actually you being right in front of my left eye. That's what I'm, that's what I'm motioning right now here on the, on the camera, on the video. So, so that's where he kept Joe. He kept him right there in that line. It's like if you're pointing a shotgun, boom, he kept him right in that line at mid-range, Baturbiev chopped down with the right hand. It wasn't a full extension. It wasn't the Deontay Wilder getting that full leverage and extension. It was literally an arm punch, and it was just a chop. Now he gets his butt into it. He gets his back into it. He turns over on it, and it's a real short boom. He turns. Oh, he gets the elbow up. He turns the the wrist down, the fist down. So he has great technique on it, and he has so much torque. In his forearms, you guys who, who watch those training videos of Baturbiev, you see the stuff he does with his forearms, with his hands. 
And that's stuff that a lot of the Eastern European fighters do, particularly the guys out of Russia. I've seen it with a lot of them. They work. They do specific little drills and things with the way they do push-ups and pull-ups uh, and just even using dumbbells and, and kettlebells and stuff. They work their forearms, and they really work on turning over. They do specific exercises with turning their wrist over, right? Um, Gennady Golovkin, when he would train with um, Abel Sanchez, they would take a little dumbbell, and Sanchez would weld off. He cut off one end of the dumbbell. So it looked like kind of like a T. Imagine the dumbbell looking like a T because one bubble of it is cut off. And Golovkin would hold it with the, the one bubble left on on the inside of his, his hand. And he'd shadow box with that. And naturally, that little heavier part on the inside of his hand would force his hand to turn in. And it was just something he would work on round after round after round, strengthening the inside of that forearm. And, you know, this underneath of it, under the bottom of it, the inside of it. Anyway, that little, little, just little technique that those guys work on adds a little bit of torque. And sometimes that 10 extra pounds of torque or whatever it is, is all you need to hurt somebody. And in the opening seconds of that first round, uh, Baturbi have caught Smith with a chopping right hand that he literally, it was like a six inch punch and boom, he just turned his wrist down and it didn't even land flush. Again, it was an arm punch, but it hurt. It didn't, it wobbled Joe Smith. I think that's the best word. He felt it. And you could tell in that moment, it was a the type of power, the type of thud that Joe Smith has never felt before. Joe Smith has a good chin. He has one of the better chins out there. This is a guy who's fought 10 plus rounds with a broken jaw. Okay. He's proven that he's a sturdy, tough guy that will walk through fire. So this wasn't him quitting or giving up or you know any of that stuff that I saw some people saying online. Uh, this was a guy who felt something he had never felt before and kind of didn't know what to do. And at that point, uh, he would – so, so okay, let me just keep keep going with this. That was about 30 seconds into the first round. Once Baturbiev saw that, he knew he had that punch. He did it a couple more times, and then he saw that Joe was looking for it. So what did Baturbiev do? He just dropped the right hand for about 30, 45 seconds and just started touching with the left. A few jabs, uppercuts, 45s, hooks – Arm punches, but strong enough to get Joe thinking about it. And then right at the end of the first round, boom, comes that right hand again. Joe walks right into it with his head right on the line. Zero adjustments made. Got caught with it again. Boom, Joe Smith was down. And the fight was over at that point. Not that Joe Smith was finished. Not that he was giving up. Not that he mentally capitulated. He didn't know what to do. Tough guy. So he gets up, finishes the round. But at that point, Baturbiev completely had him figured out. And the game plan that um, Joe Smith's team worked on was terrible. I, I'm just going to put it out there. And I'm not trying to disrespect anybody, but it was the wrong game plan. I agree that they needed to be aggressive. I do think that's what they should have did. But why would you lumber in the mid-range? And why wouldn't you work on getting your head off the line? And why after the, that first round? Now, maybe... I didn't hear what the corner said. So if somebody heard the corner and I'm wrong, correct me if I'm wrong. But I, I didn't see any adjustment from Joe Smith in the second round with getting his head over to his left 
in forcing Viterbiev to change the angle of his right hand. I saw Joe do the exact same thing in the second round that he did in the first round. There was zero adjustment made. Now, maybe his corner said, Joe, you're getting caught with that right hand. Let's move your head over here. You need to get up on this dude's chest. You need to get your forearms in his face. You need to maul him, grapple him, push him back, pull him, pin his, his uh, outside arm and pull him into you, spin him. You know, you need to get inside on this guy or be all the way outside. Don't stand right in front of him at mid-range. And for freak, for Christ's sake, get your head off to the left because you're leaving it over to the right and he's chopping you on the, on the temple with that right hand every time. Maybe his corner said all that, okay? But Joe came out and did the exact same thing in the second round. So Baturbi have lit him up. And then he's, he was so, so in his zone at that point that he landed a couple of uppercuts. Because at this point now, Joe's looking up top for that chopping right hand. So what do you do with a guy who's looking for a punch up top? You throw something underneath. Baturbiev did that, paint by numbers, boxing 101, uh, drops him with the uppercut. And, and referee Harvey Dock, who, who I like, he's one of the, the better young refs out there. I wish we saw more of him and less of these Robert Bird types and those guys. Uh, he, he calls the fight right there. Fight's over. Now, the big question, where do you rate these guys after this fight? You know, uh, for Joe Smith, I know this is going to sound harsh to some of you guys, and it's going to sound like I'm being anti-Joe Smith here. Is he, he's not a top five light heavyweight. He's just not. He, he accomplished being rated in the top five because of his will, his iron will, his heart, his determination, the way he trained. And he surprised a few guys and it scored several upsets in his career that nobody saw coming, right? Or very few saw coming. And that, that should be commended. You know, he's carved out a terrific career for himself. But does he beat... Callum Smith? Does he beat Marcus Brown? Does he beat Zerda Ramirez? Does he beat Joshua Buatzi? Let me answer that for you guys. No, he doesn't. He doesn't beat them. He could be competitive, and on any given night, he might upset one of those guys. But head-to-head -head against them right now, I'm favoring those fighters. I just I just am, okay? He, he might have the power to catch one of those guys and score a come-from-behind knockout or something like that. But at this point, that's what I see from Joe Smith Jr. And I honestly think, dude, you made a ton of money in this fight for Joe Smith. That's a, he made a good payday in this fight. You had a world title. You were highly rated. You sent Bernard Hopkins into retirement. You, you scored a one-round knockout over Andres Fonfaro when he was the hot new thing, right? You've had some great wins. Um, but, but if I were managing Joe Smith right now, I would have a comeback fight either later this year or early next year in Long Island, pick a venue that seats seven, 8,000, sell it out, get all your brothers there from the union and get a guy in there. That's, you know, top 20 ish that you can beat and right off into the sunset, dude, you've carved out an outstanding career for yourself. That's what I would do. That's what I would do. Now on the other side, Arthur Baturbiev, I think you have to rate him number one at light heavyweight. He's got three of the four belts. I brought this up with the rig ratings committee. There are some people there that feel Beevil should be rated number one because he beat a better fighter in beating um, Canelo Alvarez earlier this year. But Canelo Alvarez, I never really rated as a light heavyweight. If we're being honest, his win over uh, uh, Sergey Kovalev is bullshit. 
I, I don't rate it among Canelo's best wins. I just don't see it that way. And I've brought up the reasons why many times. I see Calo, uh, Canelo as a, a super middleweight. He is the undisputed super middleweight champion of the world. So Bevo beating him is a high accomplishment. It, it truly is. But I think Baturbiev has got three of the four belts. He's got to be number one at light heavyweight. And then pound for pound, how do you rate these two guys? That, that's where it gets kind of tricky because Bevo clearly has the better win in beating Canelo Alvarez, right? Canelo Alvarez was rated number one pound for pound in the world pretty much universally when Bevo beat him. And he beat him 11 rounds to one, 10 rounds to two. I mean, that was decisive. And he used skill to do it. He didn't use brawn to do it. He used skill. So you got to rate Bevo pound for pound, right? But Baturbiev has three, I, I would say three high-level wins, three top-level wins. Alexander Vosdick, which that win, that's a terrific win. Marcus Brown, that's a really, really good win because Marcus Brown is a good fighter who's really underrated and flies under the radar. And then this win over Joe Smith was a good win too. I don't rate this win uh, with the other two, but it's a high-level win. It's a title unification, and it was a Joe Smith's adopted backyard. Uh, it was in the city, but, you know, he's from Long Island, but it's, you know, it's not that far away. It's his, his greater backyard, if you will, right? So that's three high-level wins for Better, B, uh, better Biev, Better Biev. I still don't know the right way you're supposed to say it. Um, so he's got to be, he's certainly among the top dozen fighters in the world, pound for pound. And you get no argument for me if you have him on your pound for pound list. Personally, I rate him number nine or 10. I got Beevil a couple notches higher. That might not make sense to some people. They might be like, Mike, you're contradicting yourself. Well, the pound for pound list is different than divisional ratings. I see Baturbio as the top light heavyweight in the world. I see Beevil slightly higher pound for pound because of his recent win over Canelo Alvarez. That's the way I see it. Also, a fight between Baturbiev and Bevel, I, I'd love to see it. I, I think that in terms of styles and everything else, it might be the best fight in all of boxing to make. And I know that's going to trigger some of you because you're saying, well, what about the Canelo-Golovkin rubber match? What about the Usyk-Joshua rematch? What about the potential fight between Crawford and Spence? All outstanding fights. But I'm saying in terms of actual style matchup and action, Bevel is a, the consummate boxer. He's a jouster. He's in and he's out, right? Uh, he has underrated defense. He's been called a couple times in his career, but when he's really, really dialed in, very, very good defensively, very good footwork, doesn't hit very hard because he's truly probably a natural super middleweight who fights at light heavyweight, but very highly skilled. But Terbiev has underrated skills, uh, but he is just a brute he punches with extraordinary leverage and power. And he has 18 stoppages in his 18 fights, but this ain't no Edgar Berlanga, okay? His perfect knockout ratio, it's not one-punch knockouts. It's not Deontay Wilder knocking out Dominic Brazil. That's not what this is. Arthur Baturbiev doesn't need one-punch knockout power to save him from losing to journeymen on the cards like Deontay Wilder. This is a very different kind of power. This man wears opponents down. He punches through your bones. He rattles your entire body. He just is a strong, sturdy guy. 
and it's going to take a hell of a boxer to beat him. Could it be Bevel? I don't know. I think Baturbiev would obviously be favored if the two of them fight. I think Baturbiev is going to be favored in every fight for the rest of his career. He will be the betting favorite here on out, whether he fights Zerda Ramirez, Dimitri Bevo, whoever he fights. And he should be at this point. But I really want to see that fight. Now, I know Baturbiev has to fight Anthony Yard next. That's a mandatory. And I believe Bevel might have a mandatory. I can't remember off the top of my head. Let them do that. And you know what? There are so many big matchups in the second half of this year. If Baturbiev and Bevel fight, they deserve their own space. So let them fight early next spring so that they can kind of have the limelight to themselves. Here's the unfortunate thing about that matchup and the honest truth. It doesn't bring that much money to the table. It brings some money. There's going to bring, there's going to be international money. Um, if they do it in a casino or something, there's going to be money involved. Okay. But these are two guys from Russia. There's a war going on. It's a third world country for the most part. I know the economy doesn't say that, but it truly is for most of the citizens living there. It doesn't bring in the money that a fighter from Mexico or a fighter from the UK brings in. It's just the reality of it. It doesn't bring in the money that a fighter from Japan brings in. That's, that's, the, that's the reality. So where do you put that fight? You can put it in New York. Okay. Probably does a little bit better commercially if you put it in Montreal, honestly. But there's nowhere where you could put this where it's going to do this huge gate. It's not going to do – they could not make a pay-per-view here in the States. Bob Aram, who promotes Better Beab, said, uh, we're not fighting on the zone. Nobody watches it. Bob is just a cranky old dinosaur. I, I think he'd come around and do a fight on the zone if the money was right. He's going to go where the money is. Um and there have been some fights that have broken through on the zone this year. And I think that uh, Bob, Grandpa Bob, has to be aware of that. Or somebody at top rank needs to make him aware of that. Um, tell him to hold off on the gummies for a little bit and explain some numbers to him. Then let him do the gummies. But um, even if it goes straight to ESPN, I think Bevel and Matchroom might be willing to do that. It's a tough fight to make, though, man. Bob Aram can't stand Eddie Hearn. Just can't stand him. Several different reasons why we could get into, but it's going to be a tough one to make. But if that fight could be made early next year, sign me up. I tweeted about that. Um, and several people said, Baturbia was just going to destroy Bevel, right? It's going to be a third, fourth round knockout. Guys, there is a massive gap between Joe Smith and Dimitri Bevel. If you need to be reminded of this, go watch their fucking fight. Rabivo won 12 of the 12 rounds, all right? And he didn't knock Joe Smith down. He didn't hurt him. Uh, Joe Smith wobbled, uh, hurt Bevel toward the end of that fight. I think Bevel got a little bit lazy and, you know, it wasn't too sharp. Uh, that sometimes happens when you're completely dominating and outclassing an opponent. Sometimes you can start to take him lightly. Oh, I got caught with something big. I don't think Bevel would make that mistake if they fought again. Uh, there's just a huge gap between those two. So I actually think a fight between Baturbiev and Bevel would be highly competitive and a lot of fun. And it would be the kind of fight that some of you out there were thinking Baturbiev Smith was going to be in terms of the competitiveness. All right. I think I got everything out that I wanted to there. Um, in terms of pound for pound list, one, one last comment, because I know you guys love talking about this. I mentioned Baturbiev's three top wins as a pro. He's also a two-time Olympian, and he was a world amateur champion in 2009. To me, that all goes into the package. Um, 
I think Lomachenko needs to come off the pound for pound list. And I've been saying this for weeks and I get flack all, all the time on Twitter for being a Lomachenko apologist. Doesn't really matter what I do or say. I just get accused of these things. There's even one moron on Twitter uh, who said, oh, of course you want Paterbiev on the pound for pound list, but not Charlo. I'm like, you're a dumb fuck. Do you know that? Because I'm one of the guys on the ratings committee that was pushing to add Jermel Charlo to the pound for pound list. Uh, so, you know, these people on Twitter are morons. Anyway, I think you take off Juan Francisco Estrada, who hasn't fought since last March, who I thought lost to Chocolatito, and who, it, how do I put this without, uh, I need to be politically correct. Um, it appears, it may appear to an observer um, that Estrada really didn't want that third fight with Chocolatito and found a convenient way out of it, okay? I'll just put it that way. Because I think he realized, yeah, this guy found me out and he's probably going to beat me in that third fight. That, that's just the way it came off to me, and I'm not the only one who feels that way. Why is Estrada on the pound-for-pound pound list? He hasn't fought since last March, and his next matchup is not against an elite-level opponent like Chocolatito. Take him off. Lomachenko. I think first ballot Hall of Famer, by the way, same thing with Estrada. Lomachenko, you might be talking about all-time great fighter in terms of, you know, featherweight. Maybe the best amateur ever, certainly among the top two or three amateurs ever. I, guys, I, I get it. I respect the hell out of the man. He ain't going to fight this year. His team has already said he's not leaving Ukraine. He's not going to fight in 2022. Take him off the pound-for-pound pound list. Now, I'm not going to read the email I sent to the Ring Ratings Committee. But I want to make it clear, that's what I said this week. And it's not the first time I've said this, but I made it very, very clear how I stand on this. So I'm on the record. I think Estrada and Lomachenko should be taken off. You take the two of them off, you can add Baturbiev. And I think you, some people are like, well, you should add Haney. Now, in my opinion, you put Chocolatito back on. So I got Chocolatito and Baturbiev on my pound-for-pound pound list at number nine and number 10. Okay, for me, Haney is right there at number 11 or 12. Haney has one big win. And it's other guys at Lightweight who did the work consolidating the belts. He got in there and fought, you know, just the right matchup for him. I give him tons of credit for going to Australia to fight Cambosos. He performed brilliantly in that fight. And I think he'll win the rematch even bigger. However, one big win over George Cambosos does not trump what the other fighters on my personal pound-for-pound pound list have done. So um, it's not me hating on Devin Haney. It's just me telling the truth. Okay, that is it with the review. Let me get to these uh, super chats. It looks like we got a bunch of them, man. So let me scroll up here and make sure I didn't miss any of these. We got Aaron earlier. We got Anthony Santiago. What's up, Ant? He says, uh, what's up, Mike? The lifestyle of Better Biev keeps him from aging like the usual athlete. Fook that yard fight, LOL. Yeah, from all indication, from everything I've heard, Better Biev lives a very, very clean lifestyle. He's um, kind of like a Russian Bernard Hopkins in that sense. Think of him that way, except a lot stronger and a lot more athletic. Uh, Hopkins, obviously, probably a little craftier, but Better Biev has underrated craft. And um, he seems to be aging just fine at 37. As far as the Anthony Yard fight, I tweeted this. Anthony Yard will go more rounds than Smith. It's not because he's a better fighter than Smith. Although Yard and Smith right now, it's a pretty competitive fight. I wouldn't mind seeing it. That'd be a fun fight, honestly. Um, but Yard has a different style. And he's just a little 
more awkward and he, he moves his feet differently. Um, his punch angles and stuff are different. And I think Baturbiev will take his time with him. It'll probably take five or six rounds. He'll get him out of there. But I do think Yard will go more rounds. Look, man, it's a mandatory. If you guys want to see Undisputed, you got to support these mandatory matchups. So uh, that fight's happening next. And here's the thing, too. If Baturbiev goes over to the UK and fights Yard over there, he builds his brand up in the UK. And that's that brings more money in internationally in his, in his fights, his subsequent fights. Um, it's better for, for his entire team. So I support the Yard fight. Get the mandatory out of the way. Go over to the United Kingdom. There would be a, a good crowd for that fight. Not that Anthony Yard is this massive star, but the British fans are crazy about their boxing. In my opinion, it's the hottest boxing market on earth right now. Go do it over there, man. It'll be a fun atmosphere. It'll make for fun TV. Yard will talk all kinds of shit and market the hell out of that fight. You're not going to have this stoic kind of respect that you got between Baturbiev and Smith or like you get between Baturbiev and Bevel, even Baturbiev and Zerto. Wouldn't be a whole lot with the promotion. But Baturbiev and Yard, you guys know Yard's going to sell that fight. And um, it'll be fun to watch on TV. And if they show it live here in the States, it'll be one of those afternoon broadcasts. I, I just think it'll be fun, man. And with another one, Mr. Santiago with the second one. Thank you. He says, fantasy matchup, if they were the same size, prime. Oh, I know you're, you're going it. You're going there. A lot of people are talking about this. Prime Gennady Golovkin versus Arthur Baturbiev. What a war that would be. Baturbiev giving prime Triple G vibes only if he was more active. So here's the thing. I know everyone's got Baturbiev fever right now. Um, the thing is with Golovkin, and this is why it was so easy for a lot of people to make the mistake of thinking Joe Smith could ever win this fight, okay? If they fought 100 times, Baturbiev wins 99.9% .9 of the time. It'd take a freak punch or an injury for Smith to beat him. But this was only his 18th pro fight. We just don't have a much of a sample size there. With Golovkin... There's so much more of a sample size. And pound for pound, he has just fought better fighters. And he has performed and showed a little bit more of his skill set because he's had to. Golovkin's had to bite down. He's had to fight backing up. He's had to respond from getting clipped with some hard shots. Right, Baturbiev has been dropped. Um, but he's been dropped by second-tier level fighters. You know, Golovkin's never been dropped. Um I got to say, prime for prime, I'm picking Golovkin in that fight. However, holy shit, would it be a good one? Holy shit, would it be just outstanding? And obviously, I think it would go the distance. Um, it would be everything that people thought Golovkin Pirog would have been, you know? Pirog had that um, reputation as a, as a puncher. You know, we saw what he did to Danny Jacobs, and he could really, really box. Underrated craft. Russian guy. So that would have kind of the same kind of vibe to that matchup. And when nobody on earth wanted to fight Pirog, you know who stepped up and said, yes, I fight him. Put me on TV. I fight him. Gennady Golovkin. So yeah, I know for damn sure that if Golovkin and Baturbiev are in the same weight class, these two would fight each other. And don't forget, Golovkin's half Russian. He's all mixed up on his mom's side, but his dad was 100% Russian. So there's that connection there. <clears throat> All right. We got another super chat from one foot out the door. Thank you so much. 
He says, compare Baturbiev and Bevel versus Smith. Yes, completely different styles. But here's the thing that I think it's, it's, it's really easy for some of you guys to look at the two outcomes of those fights and see Baturbiev's as being much more impressive, which I understand, I, I get it, it. It was okay because he ended the show. But in a different way, what Bevel did was equally impressive and much harder to do because sustaining boxing craft like that over 12 rounds against a dangerous guy who could punch hard if he clips you. And by the way, Joe Smith has freakishly long arms. The guy might have the longest arms in all of boxing. I, I forgot how long his damn arms are. When I saw right when the fight started, I was like, holy hell, he has long arms. He just doesn't use his length uh, as well as he should have. But um, I, I get that Paterbiev's performance against Smith looked more impressive. It was dominant, two just destructive rounds. He was the first and only guy to drop Joe Smith Jr. I get it. But let's also not forget that what Baturbiev, I'm sorry, what, what Bevel did to Smith at that time, nobody before or since until Baturbiev had ever done that to Joe Smith. He had lost fights, but they were competitive. They were close. There was an injury involved, a broken jaw, you know, something like that. With uh, Bevel, he completely outclassed the guy. And how many fights did Bevel have at that point? Like a dozen, maybe 15 pro fights. It's pretty impressive, man. Really, really pretty impressive. And that is a win that aged extremely well for Bevel. All right. I think we're caught up on Super Drive. Nope, I lied. I'm a complete liar. There's one here from Sam. Thank you so much, Sam. He says, Arthur versus Bevel would be similar to the Vosdick fight. You know, Sam, a lot of people are saying that. Uh, he says, it took him nine and a half rounds to wear him down and he finished him. I agree with you in principle, and I understand why a lot of people jump to that comparison. You're not alone. I saw several people on Twitter do that. I think Bevel is sturdier than Vosdick. He certainly hits harder than Vosdick. The one thing with Vosdick doesn't really punch very hard. Also, I think Bevel has proven that he has a better defense and a better chin. A little sturdier, a lot quicker. Uh, Vosdick, very, very good fundamentally. Very good. But I think Bevel has a little more to him. I just think he has a little more um, degrees, a little more uh, levels to him than Vojdik. Not a whole lot, okay? And I agree with you. The win over Vojdik, very, very good. And it's somewhat of an indication of what might happen against Bevel. I just think Bevel has a different level of athleticism, uh, quicker with his feet, better angles, definitely better defense, seems to take a shot better, and he punches harder. And um, he also is riding high off that win against Canelo Alvarez. His confidence is at an all-time high right now. So um, I actually I think it'd be more competitive. I, I just do. All right. Okay, now we're caught up. And now we can get into the fight preview. So let's do that, shall we? Uh, this Friday, June 24th in Kissimmee, Florida, Puerto Rican fighter Jonathan Gonzalez going up against a Filipino fighter, Mark Anthony Barriga, in the first defense of Gonzalez's uh, WBO junior flyweight title. This is not a broadcast fight. I only mention it because it's a title fight, but it's not on TV anywhere. I looked. I tried to find. It's not. Saturday, June 25, Zanfer Promotions in Baja, California, Mexico, 
ESPN Plus, Hecky Budler, former title holder, going up against Elwin Soto, who is returning from a split decision loss to the previously mentioned Jonathan Gonzalez last October. And this is a 12-round uh, junior flyweight fight. So I mentioned these two fights because potentially if uh, Soto can get that win over Butler and uh, Gonzalez does his thing and defends his belt, maybe we get a rematch between Soto and Gonzalez. And then, of course, uh, a big fight, or I'm sorry, big fight, big card from Matchroom Boxing at the Techport Arena in San Antonio, Texas. This will be broadcast on the zone. I'm losing my voice. Let me drink some water. Hang on, guys. Oh, man, I could use a co-host. Okay. I like this card. This is, uh, you know, Matchroom Boxing America, Matchroom Boxing USA hasn't had the greatest year. They really haven't. But I got to give them credit on this card. This is definitely not, you know, featuring a bunch of superstars. But this is a diehard fight fans type of card. Four fights worth mentioning on this one. And uh, for those of you who attend this one in San Antonio, you're going to have a great freaking time. This kind of has the feel of almost similar feel to uh, Tom Loeffler's Superfly cards back in the day in Los Angeles. Those were a lot of fun, man. So Jessica McCaskill, friend of the show. She is going up against Alma Ibarra from Mexico, who has a crap resume and doesn't deserve to be in a title fight. McCaskill should dominate. This is the third defense of Caskilla's undisputed welterweight championship. She beat Cecilia Brekhus in August 2020 to win that undisputed championship. They had a rematch the following March. And then she had her second defense last December. This is her first fight of 2022. McCaskill hasn't been the busiest. I'd like her to be busier. You know, even if, if it's, especially if it's against this level of opponent, it's been hard for her to secure fights. But McCaskill and her trainer, Rick Ramos, they want a certain dollar amount. They feel they've earned a certain amount of respect. I completely understand that. But if you're fighting this level of opposition, if that's the only people who are willing to get in the ring with you, fight three times a year. Build up your brand a little bit. McCaskill has done more podcasting and commentating on the zone cards, which she does a very good job of. I enjoy her commentary. Does a good job. But she's done more of that than she's done fighting. And maybe that's where she wants to go. Like, I understand, man. I'd love to see her fight three times a year, especially if it's against this level of opposition. Just stack up like a dozen title defenses over the next three, four years. And then retire as undisputed welterweight champion. Don't worry if you don't get the super huge fight. Just, just get in there and fight and stack up some paper. Anyway, also on this card, Julio Cesar Martinez uh, defending his flyweight title against McWilliams Arroyo. This is the fifth defense of uh, Julio's WBC flyweight title. Now, you, you may remember he's he's coming off a, a loss, right? Martinez fought Chocolatito earlier in March and was dominated, lost that fight clearly. But that was at, technically speaking, at junior bantamweight. Now, he missed weight for that fight. He came in heavy, even though he was moving up. But because that was in a division above flyweight, his flyweight title wasn't on the line, so he still has it. What I'm curious about, can he make weight? He missed weight for a 115 fight. Now he's going to make 112. And this isn't in Mexico where he could, I'm just going to say it, where he can cheat. I know that might piss off some of you. I don't give a shit. I'm sick of being Mr. Nice Guy. He could cheat down there. 
he he can't in Texas. You know, he's got to really make weight. So that's what I'm curious about. Anyway, this is a rematch. These two fought last November, but it was a no contest because a headbutt opened up a cut. Both fighters were dropped. So it was a very entertaining fight. I, I think it only went two, maybe three rounds before they had to stop it. So uh, entertaining fight, and it should be an entertaining rematch. Also, uh, Murad John Akhmedaylev, 10-0, defending his unified junior uh, featherweight belts, 122-pound titles against Ronnie Rios. This is the third defense of Akhmedaylev's unified championship. Of course, Stephen Fulton has the other two titles. And should Akhmedaylev be successful, we all want to see him against Stephen Fulton next. Does PBC want to do that? Generally speaking, they don't match their fighters tough. They certainly don't match them tough outside of PBC. We shall see. I would love to see if Akhmedaylev is successful against Ronnie Rios. And Ronnie Rios will give him a push. He'll give him a good push in this fight. But I'd love to see him and Stephen Fulton. We get undisputed at 122. I really hope we can see that. I hope PBC and Matchroom can play ball on that one. And in the uh, main event, Jesse Bam Franco, 15-0, going up against Srisaket Soar Ranvisai, the first defense of Bam's WBC junior bantamweight title. On the surface, this is a really, really good competitive fight on the surface. And, of course, Bam is coming off that great performance against Carlos Quadras, uh, earlier this year, where he won this title, vacant title, I believe. Um, and it, it was perfect timing. They, they, Quadras was supposed to fight someone else. They felt that that fell through. And so Bam stepped in. They saw something there. I think they see something in this fight, too. Because here's the thing about Rungvisai. He had a great 2017, 2018. Was really seen as one of the top little guys in the sport. But he hasn't fought since last March. And he hasn't fought in the United States or against a top-tier opponent since he fought Juan Francisco Estrada in their rematch in April of 2019, a fight that he lost. His last top win was the first fight against Estrada in February of 2018. So you got to go back over four years, almost four and a half years, since Srisaket Rungvisai has fought outside of Thailand against a complete, you know, one-star level opponent and defeated a high-level opponent. So, I don't know. It, to me, it feels like this is great matchmaking from Jesse Franco's team, <clears throat> and they see something there that they can exploit and get a good name, a good scalp on their resume. Maybe Rugby size still got something left in the tank. We'll find out. All right. That's it with the preview. Let me make sure I didn't miss anything before we go to these phones, okay? Let's do it. Let's get to these phone calls. We'll start with 317. You're on the show. What's up? Hey, what's up, Mike? I called it uh, Jack Alter. I called in pretty early. Like, it was as soon as it, I saw on your tweets, you were like, I'm going live in 10 minutes. I saw, like, the intro. I called in as soon as the intro was playing the – you know, na 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 na. So I called him pretty early. Awesome. Out first, but yeah, I'm, you're number one, man. You're number one on the okay. list this week. Hell yeah! But um, I remember you said it like cost money to be on the phone, so I don't I don't usually want to do that. But now since you says first come, since you're like first come first serve, I kind of 
call in. I kind of do call in early now, but anyways, I was wrong. Um, better be having pressed the shit out of me. Um, and you know, Mike, call me crazy, but I think I know. Yeah, Chris, I owe Chris five bucks, but I uh, <laughs> I lost a shit ton of money, so I need to I need to you know fucking get some money first. But um, you know, real quick, I just want to say uh, I've. I want to compare myself to Joe Smith real quick. Obviously, Joe Smith's a legend. But, you know, there's some guys in boxing that can't be, like, wobbled to the head. And I'll, you'll see what I mean in a sec. Like, Sean Porter. I don't think Sean Porter has actually ever been dazed or wobbled. He's been hit with shots so accurate and hard that he's been knocked down. Like, his whole body, when you get hit with a shot so hard, sometimes your whole body just crumbles because there's so much force going to your head. If you look at the Errol Spence Jr., Sean Porter, round 11 knockdown, he hit Sean with such a perfect shot. One of his uh, gloves touched the canvas because he hit with such a perfect shot. When Better Be Up knocked out Joe Smith, every single knockdown, it looked to me that, like, he, he wasn't hurt to the head, but the shots were so fucking hard, his whole body dropped because, like, he took a knee every single time because his punches were so much, there's so much force there that he put would you agree yeah i think um it just it was like something almost neurological where his system has just never felt that impact and his legs went you know like his wits were about yeah, him no, and i yeah no no yeah and he said to himself he's probably like did i just get dropped he's like i'm not hurt or anything but his punches are so hard dude and the thing is I think, and Trey made a great comparison about this. He was just like, you know, I think Joe Smith went in there saying, I have a great chin. No one can really hurt me to the head. So, but, dude, he went in there and he felt how hard the punches were. And, you know, he went in there saying, you know, I don't care if I get hit. The punches were so hard. He said, oh, my God, this guy punches so hard. I do not, that hurts so bad. I don't, I don't, I'm just going to get knocked out. He, he wanted nothing to do with better be once he felt the the first big punch. Wouldn't you agree? Uh, I think it was more like, to me, it, it, he, he's tried to win. He was, he was, I think he was buzzed. I, I think that he never recovered from that first right hand to the temple. And I think that he was a little wobbled. His legs didn't look good. When I saw um, his legs in that second round were just off. His balance was off and he, wanted to win he didn't quit but just nothing worked and it was almost you know when um Inouye knocked out Donaire a week or so ago where that first left to the temple Donaire just was done he tried he, tr he did everything he could do but sometimes you get hit with a shot like that when you're still kind of cold or whatever and and you're just done and I just Smith was done after that first right hand man that was it yeah, and I saw people on Twitter were talking about who hits harder, Better BF or Golovkin. Better BF hits a lot harder than Golovkin, uh, but there's a few, there's so many people hating on G, like saying it was exaggerated, and J-Rock Williams put him in his clip, put one of these haters in his place who said, uh, oh, it's exaggerated, Triple G doesn't punch that hard. They said, I've fired up to 40 rounds with Triple G, it's not exaggerated, trust me. And I was like, damn, he handled, he uh, humbled that motherfucker. Mm. But um, better be having Golovkin. I don't think you can compare them because Golovkin, the reason why he gets so many knockouts is because he's one of the best. And I want to say this here, and I think you'll actually agree. I think he's one of the best offensive fighters of all time. What do you think about that statement? I can't say all time, but I can say of his generation, certainly. 
Certainly. One of the best offensive middleweights of all time, yeah. sure. Yeah, he's just so accurate, so precise. His timing's amazing. That's why he gets the knockouts the way he does. But better be able to just pure force. And I don't know if you knew this, but he dropped Usyk in the amateurs with a kidney shot. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you've been hit with, to the kidney, like to the left side of your body, not where the liver is, you have to hit someone really, really hard to hurt them there. I don't know if you if you knew that. If you get hit in the liver with the right shot, not even that hard, you're going down. But if you're hit, and I've been hit really hard to the uh, right uh, with the right hand to the, my left side, it hurts. But you don't think it'll make you go down. You have to hit someone so hard with the right hand to the body to. And I feel like only me and you understand. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, right hand to the body. The left hook hurts a lot more to the body to me than a straight right to the body. Uh, it's hard to get like really good yeah, leverage. Um, Us- or I'm sorry, uh, Baturbiev did drop Usyk in the amateurs. He beat him once, but I think Usyk beat him twice. Um, so, you know, those guys, guys had a good back and forth. I do know that Usyk lost like 10 of his first 25 amateur fights. He did not start well as an amateur, but he really, really found his stride and won like 50-something in a row or something like that. I can't remember the exact numbers, but he got really, really a lot better later in his amateur career. Yeah, but um, there's a few more things I wanted to cover because uh, I don't know why I just wanted to come in and talk about boxing because, dude, I, I, mean, I was totally wrong. But I, like I said, I was confident, but I feel like sometimes when the odds are so wide, can you understand why I put money on Joe Smith? Because I was like, he has a puncher's chance. I mean, I'm, and I could win a ton of money due to the odds, and I did the same thing with Donaire and Inouye. But uh, better be as... By the way, uh, better be have Canelo. I know a lot of people are saying better be have knocked out Canelo. <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know if he does. I don't think he'd be able to hit Canelo that flush. And if he does, I don't think it's enough to put Canelo down. I think all, all he's going to do is hit Canelo with a glancing yeah. shot. Honestly, he's he's only got to land 50% on Canelo on the side of his head, the back of his head. I think he could stop Canelo. I really do. It, but it would be like late in the fight, you know, something like that. But I think he could. Interesting. You know, the one time Canelo's been really buzzed in his career, or well, no, he was buzzed in round ten of the Golovkin rematch, and he's probably going to get dropped once or twice to the body in the upcoming third fight. But uh, do you remember when he was nineteen? He fought Miguel Cotto's brother. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Do you remember he got hurt with the left hook in the first round? Yeah. Now I want to say, uh, trying to think of what weight that was at. It might have been a 54, but I can't remember. It might have been a 47. I don't can't remember which weight, but yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, and one more uh, one more thing about Canelo's chin. Uh, have you seen his brother's chin? Like I remember Brandon Rio versus Ramon Alvarez, and Ramon was getting his fucking ass kicked on the rope for like <laughs> a minute straight before the ref stepped in, and he never went down. The Canelos like, have strong chins, man. Uh, they they have good chins just something in the genetics but um one more thing i wanted to uh, cover the rungbasai uh, uh i almost said rungbasai quadra uh the, i haven't seen Gambe martinez but i mean if you beat quadra you're pretty good and i just want to clarify that the first time rungbasai and chocolatito fought chocolatito clearly won i'm, I'm sorry it's not mm-hmm. even up for debate i don't have to see how you can have so rungbasai winning that first one i was there i thought he won too yeah i agree yeah, but um, what's your prediction for this fight? What, for Bam versus Rungvisai? 
Yeah. I'm going to take Bam decision. Interesting. Interesting. All right, man. That's uh, all right, Mike. That's all I got for you. No, <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right, okay. Nacho. All right. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it, Jack. Yeah. Yeah. Have a good one. <laughs> all right, you too, man. Uh, Gail Falkenthal in the chat says, uh, Montero, don't forget to mention the return of Jarrell Big Baby Miller. He has a fight this Saturday in Buenos Aires on a WBA card titled KO to Drugs. You can't make this shit up. Gail, I had no idea. I got to, I'm going to look up Jarrell Miller right now and just, I got to see this. I want to make sure it's on this box rack. Wow, you ain't lying, Gail. That is insane. So he is fighting, Jarrell Miller is fighting, God, I've never heard of this guy, Ariel Esteban Bracamonte from Argentina. And uh, I'm looking at this guy's resume. I think I might be able to beat this guy. Jesus, he weighed 293 for his last fight. He's a big boy. Um, So these are going to be two big, sloppy, fat fucks slapping each other around. And Wow, this is just crazy. How in the hell? Who is promoting this card? I can't. So, yeah, I'm looking here. I'm looking up the uh, the card, and it doesn't say who the promoter is. It just says, you know, the commission information, the media information. But, wow, this is Buenos Aires. Shame on everybody involved in this, including the WBA, if they're actually uh, promoting this or I'm sorry, sanctioning it. That is disgusting. And if you ever thought that the WBA uh, had no shame, or I'm sorry, any shame, well, here you go. Now there's no doubt. They have no shame. Zero. Wow. (laughs) I'm looking at the rest of the guys on the card, by the way. Um, Ivan Deitch goes on the card, who is an undefeated heavyweight uh, originally from Kazakhstan, who now fights out of Kissimmee, Florida. So that's kind of interesting that he's on this card. But he's had a very disappointing professional run so far. It's all been one-star opponents on Box Rec. Uh, let's see, who else is on this card? We've got uh, a super flyweight prospect out of Argentina. We've got a featherweight prospect out of Argentina. It's mostly just local guys. And then these two heavyweight fights. Really, really bizarre. Wow. That is just bizarre. But yeah, it's definitely a WBA card because I see a couple of WBA like intercontinental card or uh, titles are on the line. So wow, shame on the WBA. I mean, just disgusting. How do you how do you justify that? And like I didn't know about it, right? Um, so I, I just I stopped giving a shit about Jarrell Miller a long time ago. But I think maybe the thought by the WBA is, oh well, it's in Argentina. Nobody's really gonna know. Uh, well, now it's out there, everyone. So I'll definitely tweet about this now. Thank you for telling me, Gail, because I really had no idea. That is just shameful, man. Uh, super chat from Sam A. Thank you so much, Sam. He says, Canelo will not fight Baterbiev. No way. Also, Arthur will move to Cruiser. You know, you're probably right about both of those, Sam. I, why, if you're Canelo, why would you? I mean, honestly, um, I think Beevil taps his ass again in a rematch. I think he realized, okay, and, you know, look, when I told people, when Canelo beat Kovalev, and I talked about it honestly, and I said Kovalev was coming off like a six-week training camp, was almost knocked out in his previous fight, was unhealthy. There, there were so many behind-the-scene things going on. That was just not 
a, a high level win for Canelo. That was a complete title grab. It, it was just a um a marketing thing that worked with casual fans and Canelo fans. Um, I got so much shit for that. I, I, you know, Oh, Mike, you're biased. You're this, you're that, you know, you're prejudiced against Mexican fighters. Shut up. Everyone knows I'm not. And now even Canelo and his fans realize, yeah, 175 is probably a bit too much. The prime elite level guys at 175, they're going to be Canelo. 168 is the max. So I don't see him fighting better BF. And I don't think there's any reason to. I don't hold that against him at all. And you're also right that, but better BF, you know, let's say, let's say this guy gets a fight with Bevel next year. Let's say he wins complete, you know, completely undisputed at 175. Then maybe he defends it once against Zerto, beats him. Both of those fantastic fights, by the way. And then let's say the following year, 2024, he moves up to Cruiser and fights for a title up there. I think it's very possible. And his power will carry up to uh, Cruiserweight. Absolutely. There's nobody there right now. Marius Bradis, of course, would be the top challenge. Uh, and then who's the kid out of uh, Lawrence O'Coley? He'd be a tough one, too. He might actually be a little tricky for Baturbi to figure out just because his length is freaky. That dude's like 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six crazy long reach. Um, so, but, but Paterbiev would be a very, very live. I don't even know if he'd be a dog. He might be favored. He'd be a very live dog in those fights. If he was the underdog. All right. Uh, back to the phones. Let's get a few more phone calls guys. And then we'll get out of here in about 20 minutes. All right. So let's get through these calls quickly. We got a call here from the UK seven, nine, six on the line. What's up? You're on the show. Oh, hello, Mike. How's it going? Good. How you doing, Hamed? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, I was going to say, not many people predicted that fight, but I think the onlookers were onto that performance. Uh, I mean, that win by Tobias, because to me that reminded me of uh, actually more one-sided. I was Mon Peterson against Lucas Matisse in 2013. I fight that a lot of people. Maybe not the exact same person, but a lot of people were picking Peterson in that fight as well, but. I just think um, not many people saw Batubia blowing him out like that. There were some people that were saying he's going to destroy him, but I thought they'd go at least three, four, five rounds. Me too. Uh, Me too. He almost got him out in the first round, so that was very impressive. I would say he's got to be on the pound-for-pound list at the moment, but the thing is, uh, the two you remove, if you remove Lomachenko and... Amy, who else should be on there? Because I think Roman Gonzalez should be on there. But if he's not on there, who would you rather put on there? Amy or Shakur Stevenson? Because I think uh, Amy's got more of a valid argument at the moment. Yeah, you're probably right about that, Hamad. I think um, I think Stevenson's better. I think he's a better fighter than um, than Haney. But Haney has the better accomplishment right now. So maybe between the two of them, I'd, I'd give it to Haney. But it, 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 it's close. It's close. Yeah. Yeah, future, I think Shakur Stevenson will be ranked higher. But at the moment, um, I will not put Lomachenko on there because I thought he decisively lost to Lopez. And I know a lot of people go on about the size, but if you compare Lomachenko's performance with uh, Lopez, I don't think that was close. And then you see what Usyk did to AJ. 
I don't think it's exactly the thing Kabal think is the uh, the higher you go in division. I do think you got a better chance of uh, carrying up the weight a bit better. The lower it is, it is harder. But I do think that uh, Usyk and some of these guys are clearly top five. I, I'd probably say Batubia is top five as well. But you could argue anywhere between top five to top ten. But as a light heavyweight, I don't think Bivol should be ranked ahead of him at the moment because I think the resume I like heavyweight is uh, a bit more sided with Batubia. The win over Gavazdi, if you add Marcus Brown, yeah, the wins over Campillo and Tavoris Cloud. I think people overlook those. Those guys those are, are solid. Both former, both yeah, former I, I want to say. I, I'm sorry to interrupt, Tommy. I was just going to say, I, I, I yeah. think those were some of Baturbiev's first fights. I want to say those were within his first 10 pro fights. So those were impressive wins for him at the time. Yeah, fifth fight, uh, Tavoris Cloud, uh, same guy who went 12 with Hopkins. I know he lost, like, I think it's eight or nine rounds, but Baturbiev destroyed him. That's when I thought he would actually beat Ward and I'm not sure about Kovalev. I still think, I mean, team back then, Kovalev in his prime, the fight could have happened. And if it did, I think Kovalev may have been the only guy who may have stopped him around that time. Yeah. Uh, before that, you'd have to go really back to guys like Hopkins, uh, Roy Jones. Yeah. I'm not sure about those guys, but I think he would have beaten Ward. I, I don't know how Ward would have kept him off him. And I think Stiles make fights. I think Kovalev would have had a better chance, but... I do think it's harder than Kovalev right now, but yes. I'm not sure we would have won back then. That would have been a very good fight. But him and Bivol, I think you could argue that's a 50-55, but I don't know who who would you say was more impressive. So Bivol won 11 rounds, but he did get hit. Um, I'm well, not sure. From Bivol fought view, an infinitely better fighter. I mean, Canelo Alvarez on a skill set level, pound for pound, is infinitely better than Joe Smith. So... I would say Beevil's win is more impressive. I would. Oh, no, I meant uh, when they both fought Joe Smith. Uh, oh, sorry about that, Hamed. Um, well, you know, I think you have to go with Baturbiev. I think you have to because he got him out of there and he did it so quickly. But I, I think that people are overlooking Beevil's win against Smith because, again, yeah. he, he boxed over 12 rounds. That's really hard to do against a big, strong guy like that. And he he dominated. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, it wasn't exactly the thing about them. It was when I think Mayweather beat uh, some of those guys, and then Paxful blitzed a couple of those guys. Uh, depends who you prefer. Obviously, one's way that's more a great point. I, I like not, that comparison. Yeah, yeah, that's a really great point. Yeah, so it depends. Uh, pound for pound, I, I do think you could say Bivol is ranked higher, but I, I do think Batubia's resume is arguably better than. Harold Spence, and maybe even, not now, I wouldn't say now is Golovkin, but when Golovkin was a top five pound-for-pound pound fighter back uh, back before the uh, Canelo fight, I do think you could argue, I know the wins over Murray were very impressive, and Lemieux, but wins over Javosdik, Marcus Brown, and Joe Smith now, where he's essentially ended their careers, I, I think that should be noted as well, because I don't think either of those guys will be the same, but I think Joe Smith is saying he may contemplate retirement. So, a guy with 18 fights, one belt away from becoming undisputed, I think he may be at least a top 10 pound football fighter. Top five, you could argue as well. 
Yeah, I got him, I got him on my list, maybe nine or ten, but I had to remove Estrada and Lomachenko, and I replaced those two fighters yeah. with uh, Chocolatito and Beterbiev. Um, but yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. He he's certainly earned top. I don't know about. I can't say top five. I can't. Um, but he's definitely in the top ten. Well, who would you post? Spence? I think you could argue between him and Spence because if you look at Spence's resume, I agree. Maybe he's got more popular names. You know, maybe he's got more popular names. There's a few guys in the chat saying, why is Spence rated so high? And I completely agree. And I'm going to be called a PBC hater and all this kind of shit, Ugh, whatever. But <laughs> I I think I, I do not see Earl Spence as a top five pound for pound fighter. He He... I don't see how his top three wins are that much better than Artur Baturbiev's top three wins, especially when you consider, um, you know, that some of them are pretty close and Baturbiev has dominated every fighter he's ever faced. Um, but Errol Spence is American and that's, that's why he's rated where he is. I'm just going to call it out. That's just the truth. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that weight class is a bit more, Maybe you could say popular. It's with hyped American up more. Well, it's, it features almost yeah. exclusively American fighters. And the light heavyweight right now is almost exclusively non-American. And that's part of the politics with the American boxing media. And I bring this stuff up and I'm called all sorts of names for it. But that's the truth. Yeah, because yeah, I was going to say that's what's true. And I can see that uh, there is a clear bias. But mm -hmm. he hasn't fought Crawford yet. And... Whether or not Spearman Dustin, he didn't fight Spearman. So wins over Cal Brook, Mikey, these are look, these are decent wins, but he didn't blow out to Mikey Garcia and Brook was coming off a bad loss ice injury and essentially had half his face smashed, uh, the other half and then spent uh, smashed the other half of his face. But I don't know, like if he beats Crawford then obviously he's a clearly a top five pound for Bob Roger. You could at that point. Could be number one if he beats Crawford. Been, yeah, I mean, if he if he dominates and stops Crawford, Errol Spence probably be number one on my list. But until then, yeah, you know. But I gotta wrap it up, man. We got some other calls, brother. What yeah. else you got, man? All right, all right. You good? I was just gonna say, if Rungvi side, yeah, yeah. I was just gonna say, if Rungvi side wins, do you think uh, Inui could fight Rungvi side? Because I think Stephen Fulton might be too big, but I'm not sure what you think about that. Uh, Rungvi Sai would have to be willing to move up, you know, and, and, um, if he would, I'd welcome that fight just because of the name recognition. Also, they're both from Asia. So, uh, regionally, yeah. I think that'd be a really important fight. Sure. All right. All right. All right. Thanks for taking my call. I'll, I'll let you get to the call. All right. all right. Thanks a lot, man. Good stuff today, man. All right. Have a nice day. You too. All right. All right we're going to keep it rolling, guys. We're going to jump right to this next call. 570. You're on the show. What's up? Hey, Mike, thanks for having me after, uh, you know, my Joe Smith upset didn't come to fruition, <laughs> but I'd still make that bet. I'd still make that bet because he's a live dog and he, he got caught early and he even said his equilibrium was off when he got hit behind the ear Yes, and, and it shut him down. And, uh, you know, who knows if he would have landed first, that fight could have gone the opposite, but tip my hat to Baturbiev never knew two things that Scully, John Scully was in his corner in his training camp, who's, who's a great mind. He's like Joey Kamash, in my opinion, very underrated strategist, and, and he just understands fighters, fighters' mentality. They picked up a few pearls on Joe Smith and the pressure that he almost succumbed to versus uh, the other Russian, Maxim Vlasov. Hmm. When I saw that, I got worried, kind of bought back some of my, uh, my investments there, and uh, 
it was it was interesting how that the lines dropped considerably before the fight as far as the under it went from uh plus money uh for the under to um to actually being favored that it would go under eight and a half like i mean it, it really dropped so people kind of knew it was going to end early whereas all week the the lines were favored for it to go over so yeah it was really it was close telling. right i remember that, that actually made me yeah 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 a lot of money right before the fight to take the under you had to give away you know points so with that being said arthur baturbiev i don't see a style beating him i thought joe smith was really the only kind of x factor a guy that's tough that had a chin of iron and we all saw what just happened but who's going to beat baturbiev maybe i mean that remember that coaling guy he lost every round but he survived till the 12th because he ran mm-hmm. even if you run you, you can't beat him so yeah. what style is out there? Bivol. Bivol is the only style just because he's an elite fighter. The in and out, and he has that second, uh, second, that third gear that we saw in the Canelo fight. He could, he could hurt you and he could be smart in there. So that's, that's the only fight that, that, that has to be made. But, uh, but Aram wants to fight over in uh, Europe, and that's going to be a smart move. So you take that. And as boxing fans, we're just going to have to hold our breath that uh, this, the zone and top rank and PBC fiasco all comes to a crescendo and they can figure out how to uh, be buddy-buddy and, and make some fights happen. Because this light heavyweight unification has to happen. That's the fight in boxing, okay? The two, two best fighters in, in their weight divisions. I don't care what you're going to say about Crawford and, and, and uh, Spence. I think both of them are overrated. And I, I think the welterweight division is overrated top to bottom. I, I spoke on that before. The light heavyweight division is, is talent heavy. So let's, let's hold our breath for next year that that fight gets made. I hope but so. Like you alluded to earlier, it doesn't make a lot of money because, again, poor Eastern Europeans, you know, the Russian war. And, uh, you know, it's just the logistics of it. It just sucks. They're not American fighters. And, and you see the ethnicity and, and, and the, um, the tribalist, tribalistic backgrounds of boxing fans in America. There's just not a lot of uh, market for them, unfortunately, unless you're a diehard. So there, there's just not going to be a lot of money involved, money that should be there. So we'll just have to see. But um, I want to get your opinion on Andre Ward. Um, I, when I was watching that fight in the bar, I was laughing because, you know, I told all my friends, you got to you got to watch this fight tonight, you know, and they're all excited and it ends in two rounds like that. I was kind of embarrassed, but but Andre Ward, they're they're commenting like, oh, they knew they know about him. That's the low blow guy. I started laughing like <laughs> low blow guy. What do you mean? They, they I was surprised that they knew because they're not really big boxing fans. But but Andre Ward, it just dawned on me he wasn't on a telecast, and it made me think like he's hiding on this telecast. When was the last time he hid? He hid and went in retirement to avoid Baturbiev and Bivol. Remember when both were their mandatory? His mandatory. Andre Ward, IBF mandatory was Baturbiev, who he had to fight or give up the belt. Mm-hmm. And, and the WBA mandatory was Bibble, who he had to give up the belt mm-hmm. if he didn't fight him. So what did he do? He wanted to fight over in, in the UK against Bellew. Bellew went and fought Usyk instead. Andre Ward said he wanted to fight Joshua. And then he, re- then he retired. So uh, I wanted to ask your opinion on, on Andre Ward literally ducking both those guys before he went into retirement. 
Andre Ward is one of those guys who managed his career a very specific way. And he engaged in very opportunistic matchmaking. Um, he's the only guy in the super six super middleweight tournament who never traveled, never left America. He kind right. of had a golden path paved. Never for fought him. an American fighter either. Yeah, there's that too. Um, but, but, you know, look, mm -hmm. there's the Carl Frotch fight and then the two Kovalev fights. They were years apart. There wasn't much in between that. Technically speaking, the guy was the undisputed super middleweight champion at one point, the undisputed light heavyweight champion. Actually, he wasn't undisputed. No, look. Well, he had all the Butte. belts. Butte was the IBF. No, Butte had, had one of the belts. He didn't want to go to Canada to fight him, and he didn't want him in the Super 6. That was what's, that was actually contingent on Andre Ward participating if, if Butte wasn't in it. They, that that read up on that his people didn't want I remember to that. that yeah he did sick. not want to fight Butte and he didn't want to go to Canada I do remember that but let me check here with Carl Fry yeah now you're right he wasn't undisputed yeah I'm Ward, sorry. Ward yeah I just yeah he was not Correct. undisputed but he was he was the legitimate lineal champion when he beat Frotch right so he was seen as the legitimate super middleweight champ the legitimate light heavyweight champ plus he had the gold medal that's Hall of Fame credentials however you can pick his resume apart and there's not a whole lot of substance to it. And there's a lot of guys that, you know, yeah. are big Andre Ward fans. And, you know, he's the last American Olympic medal gold medalist and this, that, the other, but he's definitely one of those guys that avoided certain fights and got out at the right time and all those things. Um, you know, it yeah. is what it Even is. Duck Stevenson. He didn't, he didn't want to fight Adonis. He did not want to fight Adonis Stevenson. He didn't like his style that left-handed bomb that he could throw. And uh, he definitely didn't want to fight Paterbia because we all saw why. Because he could fight on the inside and he could land an arm punch and knock your lights out. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I kind of underestimated Paterbia with those arm punches. And when I saw him training like Golovkin, where, where they have that ability to land an arm punch and have all that torque and power on it, it's a game changer. When people were talking earlier, I remember Jack was saying, who's the better puncher? him or Golovkin, well, I'll say Golovkin because technically they both have the same style in that regard, but there's a big difference. Golovkin is a natural 154-pound fighter. Paterbi is a natural heavyweight. He's a natural Olympic heavyweight, not a super heavyweight. Like a cruiserweight, okay? yeah, cruiserweight. That's the difference. Yeah. Paterbi is coming down in weight to fight at light heavyweight. Golovkin's moving up in weight to fight at middleweight. That's, that's the difference people don't understand. Golovkin was fighting at 130 pounds in the amateurs yes. most of his career. 130 yes. pounds. Yeah, he started yeah. there. So and, he moved up yeah. to 65. 65 in the Olympics because uh, his country couldn't afford two fighters or something like that in the, the yes. lower division, the 56-pound division. he still got ripped off anyway so he in the Olympics. He should have won the gold, but I mean, they told him they were going to screw him. But, um, yeah, he should yeah. have a gold medal. But, no, I, yeah. I agree. Golovkin, listen, we don't have a great sample size with Paterbiev, but based on everything he did in the amateurs and the fact that he's beat pound-for-pound pound better fighters as a middleweight, uh, I think he's done better work than Paterbiev. Um, but, but, now, listen, if Paterbiev yeah. beats Bevel and Zerto and then goes up to Cruiserweight, wins a belt, we're having a much different discussion about him. But until then, you know, Absolutely. we got to pump the brakes. But um, I got bad. Yeah, I got to jump I, to the next call. Sure thing. Thanks for taking my call, Michael. Thanks a lot, Fad. Uh, yeah, we're trying to keep it to ninety minutes, guys. We're already over, but I'll take a couple more calls here. Um, Chris Bergen 
with the super chat. And he says, do not bet people. There is only one winner, bookmakers. Chris, you are correct. Now listen, there are a handful of people out there who are very, very good bettors. And Thad's one of them. Thad is a very, very good better. But most people, most of the time, especially if you're dealing with casinos, they lose their ass. And as a guy who grew up around wise guys and saw people make their living off of gamblers, degenerate gamblers who would bet on two cockroaches running across the basement floor, uh, I saw how that destroyed lives. And I just always told myself, I'm never going to gamble. Um, cause I, again, I saw guys in my neighborhood driving beautiful Cadillacs and Lincolns, and they were completely paid for by degenerate gamblers in the neighborhood that were being strong armed because they owed money. Um, and then taking juice bets and shit like that. I grew up around all that kind of stuff, man. And yeah, you gotta be careful with that shit, guys. If you're keeping it to 10 bucks, 20 bucks here, there, Hey, have a little fun. But some of you guys, uh, Sam A with another super chat. Thanks again, Sam. He says Ward retired because he was not a big draw. Got six million against the Kovalev uh, in the Kovalev rematch, and nobody showed up. He couldn't get any more big paydays. That's a great point, Sam. Um, you know, Ward's greatest win in all of boxing was against Rock Nation Sports. He anally raped that company and pretty much bankrupted their boxing operation they lost so much money on andre ward that look they lost money on guillermo rigadio too but much different pay scale but specifically that uh that kovalev rematch with andre ward they lost so much money that was so poorly handled from start to finish um, and I didn't even go. That was one where I was like, because I, I, I was there for the first fight. I didn't like the politics and some of the things I saw. There was a lot of nastiness and xenophobia and animosity just all around that event. I really don't like how they marketed it or they were really, uh, I, I'll, I'll just, I'm not, I'm not going to go any further into it, but I was not comfortable going to that rematch. Um, apparently I wasn't alone because nobody showed up. But you're right. Andre Ward really didn't sell tickets, even in his hometown at the Oracle Arena. I think is that I think that's in Oakland. Yeah, I can't remember if it's in Frisco or Oakland, but it's right there. Uh, he had fights there where they they had they were giving away tickets on Groupon. And I'm not going to sit here and beat up on Andre Ward, but there was a certain way he managed his career and handled himself with media, and he just did not endear himself to diehard fight fans like that. There are a lot of hipster. Boxing media types now, particularly young guys trying to work their way up in the sport and kissing, the, trying to kiss the right ass to get favors that look back and say, oh, I was a huge Andre Ward fan. He was the last great American fighter, blah, blah, blah. These guys have no idea what the fuck they were talking about. They weren't ringside for Ward's fights against like Arthur Abraham like I was. Go try to sit through 12 rounds of that shit. Um, not easy to do. I was there for a lot of that. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, it, it, Ward could have fought Bevel. He could have fought Paterbiev. He would have taken um, a pay cut to do that because he got a, a huge, huge check to fight Kovalev in that rematch. And they squeezed Kovalev and paid him dick. Uh, they really raped him. And that Ward wanted to do a lot of that too. He wanted to punish Kovalev financially 
as well as in the ring. There was a lot of trickery and politics involved in that whole thing. And, uh, you know, Kathy Duva and main events, their side didn't do a good enough job protecting Kovalev in that first fight. Um, anyway, I could do an hour long video talking about that, but it's probably best for everybody involved that Andre Moore did retire. The light heavyweight division has been much better since. So is the super middleweight division, by the way. But also, I think Ward's doing a good job as a commentator. I think he fits in well there. He does better with the media. He does better with fans now. And he gets his ass kissed all the time. So it works. He gets what he wants. Everybody is happy. Everybody's happy. All right, let's jump to one more call, guys. And I'm sorry, I'm, I'm leaving up several of you on hold, but we're going to jump to Nacho's call, and then we're going to drop, okay? Uh, so let's see what Nacho's got to say. Rapid fire. Nacho, what's up? You're on the show. Hey, what's going on, Mike? Um, just real quick, thank God there wasn't a whole lot of boxing. Uh, with Joe Smith and Baturbiev, really the biggest issue I had with Joe Smith, Mike, was that uh, that jab of his, instead of really throwing it like, a hard uh, ramrod jab where Baturbia couldn't just counter it. He was almost just kind of like, you pawing know, it. throwing it out there. Like, yeah, like yeah. just pawing it. And that gave Baturbia the opening to throw that overhand right hand that ended up hurting him and basically winning him the fight. I mean, really, that was the biggest uh, strategy piece that, if anything, Joe Smith's going to look at the video and and smack himself for not having really thrown that jab with a lot more force and a lot more, you know, power behind it. If he had been doing that, I think the fight goes longer and who knows, maybe it's a different outcome, but yes. you know, you got to give a of credit. He went out there, he exploited the weakness that Joe Smith showed and he took advantage of it and he, he destroyed him. And that's great um, for him. I'm, I'm happy that, you know, he's out there and he's kind of getting a little more, uh, notoriety off this win. Um, man, I'm disappointed that he's being forced, though, to have to defend against Anthony Yard. Because to be honest, Mike, that, that fight is pointless. Anthony Yard has no business being in there. I think Baturvia is going to wipe the floor with him. Yard mm -hmm. really hasn't fought anybody anybody that's worth a damn since he lost to Kovalev a few years ago. So it's just kind of weird how he's getting this uh, title shot um, that's really undeserved, in my opinion. But, you know, uh, that'll be for another time. Uh, Robicio Ramirez, man, he looks great, Mike. Ever mm -hmm. since he hooked up with Ismael Salas, that's right. he's looked a lot better. I forgot he's to mention of, that. You're right, you're of, right. Yeah. yeah, he's gotten rid of that uh, amateur style. Yes. He's sitting down on his shots more. He's, he's willing to absorb shots. He's willing to fight a little, you know, on the inside and, that was just a, a hell of a left hand he landed. And it was beautiful how he basically fainted with the right hook on Nova. Nova bit on the fake, and that straight left just caught him, and he never saw it coming. And it was just good night. So um, I, I'd like to see Ramirez get another big fight. There are some rumors going around that he might be a guy for um, Emmanuel Navarrete, which mm. if that's the case, <clears throat> sign me up for that fight. I wouldn't mind seeing that fight at all, for sure. Um, and then uh, just uh, I saw the, 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 the message that uh, Gail put out there about uh, Big Baby Miller. Mike, mm -hmm. that's criminal. I can't believe yeah. that a guy who's been busted four times is still being allowed to fight. I mean, I don't understand how he is not banned from the sport for life at this point. Completely like, agree. That's insane that, 
that he's keep he keeps getting shot after shot. It, it's just unbelievable. Like, like what the hell, does he literally have to kill somebody in the ring in order for him not to ever have to be able to fight again? Like that that's just nuts that they would allow him to fight. And I'm glad that you know um, she brought it to your attention, so that way you can kind of put it out there. Oh, just, you know I'm going to troll you know, the hell out of that on Twitter. You got to look for those yeah. tweets, Nacho, and retweet oh, yeah. that shit. Let's have some fun with it. Because that's oh, insane, dog. That's oh, insane. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just I can't believe they're going to allow that, that to happen. And then uh, just one last thing, Mike. Um, the rematch got signed, and it's going to be um, in a couple of weeks. What do you think? I, I like this fight going forward. What do you think about um, Michelle Toro against uh, Ismael Madrimov? I can't wait to see that rematch, yeah. especially after the way the first one ended. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good fight, man. Um, you know, you think about Madrimov. Um, I, I, let me ask you this. Do you think he's lost a little bit of steam? Because I feel like everybody was has. so high on him. Like, Yeah, I think he's kind of died on the vine a little bit because I don't know what's happened to him, but his career has kind of kind of stalled. Mm-hmm. Ever since the pandemic hit, he hasn't been really active. And I think that fight against Soro, they thought that they were going to get an easy win against a guy with a name, and Soro wasn't washed up. I think mm-hmm. they underestimated Soro. And I thought Soro was in that fight until that bullshit ending where Madrimov hit him after the bell and got away with it until they protested, and thank God they overturned it. But, yeah, I mean, honestly, I think Soro's a live dog. I don't think... This is going to be an easy fight for Madromov at all. I can't wait to see that fight. Yeah, I agree. I, th- I, you know, I expect him to make adjustments. I expect him to look sharper and look better. And I want to see that. I want to see that growth. You know, but I, I agree with you. Sora's going to bring yeah. it, and he's a very live dog. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, for sure. Um, and then just real, um, <clears throat> and then with the card this weekend, I think I'm pretty much going chalk, Mike, with um, Akmali uh, MJ. He beats Rios. Rios is a decent guy, but he's not good enough to beat him. I, I think MJ wins that fight. And then in the, in the main event, I think, uh, so wrong with like you said, I think part of it is he's gotten a little stale because he's been fighting in Thailand and he hasn't really been fighting great opposition. But I think the guy has one really good fight left. Okay. And I hope that's what we see this weekend against Bam. So I definitely think Bam wins that fight. But I think it's going to be a tough fight for him. I don't think he wins that fight easy. I think he probably ends up winning a decision. Ravisai's got so much experience. Yeah, I completely agree. And he's got, you know, those 24 rounds. Ravisai had 24 rounds with uh, Chocolatito. No, not 24. He had 24 rounds with Estrada. And then he had, what, 14 rounds or so with Chocolatito. So all that experience he's going to bring, I think this is going to be great matchmaking. And it's going to help build Bam up. But I expect Bam to pull it off. I think he's going to win. Yeah, I think so, too. All right, Mike. All right, thanks a lot, Nacho. All right, Mike. Yeah. Have a good one, brother. All right, guys. Uh, Great calls. And again, sorry I couldn't get to all of you. um, But, man, good show. Really, really good show. Um, By the way. Uh, look for my tweets on Twitter bashing the shit out of the WBA and Jarrell Big Baby Miller. We got to have some fun with that because that's absolutely ridiculous. And I have found the only way to really fight back at some of this stuff is just to troll, just to make fun of it and troll and laugh our ass off because sometimes it's all you can do. 
and let's let's get people talking about it. All right, guys. Um, we should do a show this Friday. All right. So I'll be back this Friday and then next week right here on TNC. Have a great week. Peace.